1: I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series talking to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation. It can reframe the way we think, the information we go on to seek and share, and the conversations we go on to have. This is all part of the change process. Today's change maker is an absolute gem. I first met Neil Omuraku about three years ago when I started presenting News Talks Health and Wellness Show. One of my objectives was to get out and about and try new things, so I went to one of his workshops. I was led in some seriously deep and different breathing, led out to the back and into an ice bath where. I breathed deeply and even smiled for a photo. And our paths still cross from time to time at various wellness events. And I always have so much time for Neil and his wife, Josie. It's been incredible to see his work grow and grow. Neil has always had an interest in wellness, a herbalist and also a keen sportsman. He had an interest in the breath that he first explored when his basketball team was led by a monk and then again when he and Josie leaned into the Wim Hof method of breath work and cold therapy during a stressful time in their lives. Neil has gone on to train to the highest level with Wim Hof himself and now teaches the practice around the country and online. In today's episode, we talk about whether or not he sees himself as a change maker. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. As you'll hear, everything he does is without ego. But he is giving people the tools to check in with themselves, to lower stress levels, to increase awareness and focus, among other benefits. Neil's book, Blissful Breath, outlines how just 10 minutes of breathing every day can have an impact on so many areas of your life. We also talk about his most recent venture, retraining in trauma and breath work, initially to help the anxiety his young twin daughters were feeling after the pandemic. This has now been made into a program to help children and teenagers all over the world. Neil feels that the change makers are the people who take the tools he teaches and use them. I hope that at the end of this episode, you'll feel empowered that you can make a difference to your own life Starting with just a few minutes of breathing every day. So Neil you're very welcome to Changemakers. Thank
2: you very much. Delighted to be
1: here. Do you consider yourself to be a changemaker?
2: Not at all. Um, for me, I just consider myself someone who helps people to breathe. And out of that comes all types of things. And I think that if any change comes from the work I do, it's me just pointing the direction. And it's the people doing the work that changes. So I just show them how to breathe or show them how to get in the cold. But they actually do all the work. They are changing it all.
1: And the more I learn about the health and wellness space, certainly the wellness space um, or the looking after the mind, it's about holding space for somebody to Mm. heal themselves. I mean, in a medical sense, obviously, there's a lot of intervention and a lot of help. And thankfully, we have that. Yeah. But innately, people have an idea about what they need or, or what they want. And it's about helping guide them, isn't it? Yeah.
2: And even if we look at it from a biological point of view, the body is always trying, striving for this homeostasis, this state of balance always. So really what we're trying to do, even in the medical setting, in some circumstances, is we're trying to give the, the person the environment in which to do the thing that we do best, which is strive and work towards a balance. That's what we're trying to give people the chance to do.
1: Talk to us about your journey to the breath, because you're mostly associated, although you're stepping out by yourself with Wim Hof. But that wasn't your first introduction to the power of the breath, was it?
2: No, I was very lucky uh, in some ways that I met some great teachers along the way. Um, But really, for me, when I think back in it now, the more I explore the breath and I'm pretty obsessed now at this stage with, with breathing. I look back at, you know, when I was born, my parents were telling me that I was born with the umbilical cord tied around my neck. It came out purple, you know, and from the beginning, there was this strange relationship with breathing that developed then into asthma as I kind of went through life. So I think somewhere along the line is this relationship with breathing. and, And when you have asthma, really severe asthma, and it's taken away from you, you really appreciate it then when you have it back again. You know, so that then led me always with an open mind, into learning uh, Qigong martial arts with Shifu Yanzi from the Shaolin Temple and their whole approach is about breathing and the mind. And then later on, pranayama and yoga and breathing. So I always had this very open interest in breathing because it had been this thing that I'd never really had. You know, when I was a teenager, the cold, ironically, would be the thing that would close my airways so I couldn't breathe properly. And it wasn't until I... So I had an inhaler like ch- 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 inhaler, like this. So I'd be playing these big, important basketball games and I'd feel oh, this constriction in my chest. Couldn't breathe. I'd run over to the bench, grab an inhaler, ch- ch- spray it, and immediately I'd feel okay. But then the doctor said to me one day, oh, you should go to this open day for the people who make the inhalers. You might learn something about it. So at the open day, they had this big presentation and they're saying, these inhalers are the fastest working inhalers in the, in the world. They take 15 minutes to work. And I was looking at them going, oh my God, I had convinced myself that this inhaler worked immediately. So then I knew there was a much deeper component to breathing than just the physical body. That the breathing was connected deeply in with our emotions, deeply in with the levels of stress that we feel. And really that the breath is a reflection of how we feel. So in those moments, in those high pressure games, it wasn't the cold that was closing my airways. It was the pressure that was closing my airways. And the inhaler was just like the placebo. Give myself permission to let go of that pressure.
1: And it's so interesting. I've heard Jerry Hussey talk the same about the performance psychologist, about coffee coffee takes about 15 minutes to really oh, get into your bloodstream and we all take that first sip and we're like now I'm awake yeah you know yeah, it's yeah. funny um it's like a it's permission. the power of the mind yeah. isn't it we And give this ourselves settling.
2: Per- permission to do it you know by drinking the coffee we give ourselves permission to feel that burst of energy um and that inhaler I always think about that inhaler as kind of like the moment when I thought "Hmm, there's something else going on here with the breath
1: And my husband has light asthma as well, Mm. and he will get it more. He must be very good at breathing right down into his belly. So if we have a big meal out, that's when he'll feel the need for inhaler when his tummy is very full. So if we go out for dinner and he forgets his inhaler, he might not use it. It's the having it there. So there's such a mind body connection. That's where the panic starts to come in. And that's the the connection to the breath.
2: So in in my life with, with asthma, once or twice, I was in America playing basketball and, and in the middle of nowhere, and, and my inhaler stopped working. And these kind of crazy scrambles to pharmacies to find them, and and then eventually, I just remember one day saying, "Jesus, I haven't brought my inhaler with me in years. I'd forgotten it, totally forgotten it." After I'd started training with the Shaolin monks and sort of breathing like they breathe, and and that was a huge thing to f- have forgotten that I needed it and actually didn't know where it was because, as you know, with your husband, a part of the kind of asthma thing is that you need to know where that thing is. And when you don't know where it is, it's an other layer of anxiety or, or panic, which also then affects your breathing.
1: And how long do you think it took that training and what level? Because even in your book, you're saying ten minutes a day will make a big difference.
2: Ten minutes a day of, of breathing calmly and deeply will have a huge effect on a person's life. Um, I meet so many people that have very hectic lives, which most people do. And when we do like a session at at an event or or something like that, nearly every event we have, somebody comes up to me and says, I haven't felt this calm in years or months. And it's like taking that feeling, but just injecting it a little bit into every day. So it doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. In fact, it should be this really small, easy thing to do. If you can't do ten minutes, do five. If you can't do five, do three. I know a man who does one of my three minute recordings every day, and that's enough for him. But it changes how we feel. When we start to sit down and breathe deeply and calmly, even for a minute or two, when we stop, we're different. So allowing ourselves that little bit of change every day starts to have this cumulative effect. And that's when the real change starts to really happen.
1: And even where it affects these are like the chapters of your book mood stress focus immunity anxiety performance energy sleep recovery I had to write them down because I wouldn't have remembered them all
2: we could go on
1: I mean is there any area of the life that it doesn't add a sense of calm and empowerment to
2: our breathing is part of the answer to every problem so no matter what we're struggling with breathing is part of the answer our breath is like a companion that's with us all the time. So no, no matter what's happening. So we're talking, people are listening, and we're breathing all the time. So this companion can be something that we can be not aware of, and it's just happening by itself, and it's reacting to pressures that happen to us. Or we can decide that in the middle of whatever we're facing, we can decide to take that breath, that companion, and to use it as a force for good in our lives, to use it as an advantage. Now that's a bit of a skill, but it's there for all of us. It's something we do all the time anyway. So by taking a little time to get to know it and to use it and to breathe and do the exercises, then it becomes this thing that we can call upon when we need it in any situation.
1: I mean, people will be listening and say, well, that's great. I mean, he went off and trained with monks and cured his own asthma. We can't do that in everyday life, but as well as being a bit of a magic person, you're also an ordinary man with an ordinary stresses of life. Absolutely. And you found yourself in that time. You talk in the book about working in the corporate world, coming in every day with a scarf (laughs) on because you were constantly cold and always a little bit under the weather. Four young kids, things stressful at home, trying to to get through it. And it was then you had to turn back to the breath. So it's not like this time with the monks just changed everything.
2: No. And and this is a practice for everybody, including myself. You know, my four young children are now four teens and preteens, you know, and there's a business to be run and there's a life to be led. And we all feel fear and worry and pressure. So the practice is taking what we know and doing it. So that's why the 10 minutes a day is such a huge transformational thing for people. Because if we just take five minutes or 10 minutes to breathe, then we become much more aware of it. So when the when the pressure is on, then we can call on it. So for me, for example... My practice, now this isn't for everybody, you know, this is for somebody whose life is breathing. But my practice every day, I take about an hour doing different breathing exercises, exploring different breathing exercises every day. But that's not necessary. If you do about five or ten minutes, that's enough. And that then allows you to deal with the pressure when it comes. So I have loads of pressures in my life like everyone else. And I feel them like everyone else. But. What I can do is then I can call on the practice to help me deal with them. So when I'm feeling under immense pressure, say I'm going up on stage or whatever or something like that, or at home, the business, whatever it is, knowing that I can just call on the breath and just slow the breath down and calm the breath down and knowing that how we feel follows that. There's a great freedom in knowing that you can change how you feel when the pressure is on
1: and as humans we often just turn to these things in, in times of crisis mm. don't we we forget yeah. and i'm guilty of it myself i know what works for me i've got it sussed at this stage <laughs> and sometimes i just forget i'm feeling great so i'm like i won't bother getting up early yep. and sitting for a little while and come yep. to two weeks and i'm like what's going on with me yes why do we tend to do that go out and come back and go out and come back
2: i think there's lots of reasons um the one that i'm Spending time thinking about at the moment is our resistance to something like a few minutes of breathing every day. And initially, I thought that the reason for that is that, especially with breathing, we do it all the time—about twenty thousand times a day. We just breathe anyway. So initially, I thought my, our resistance to that was the fact that our bodies know it's breathing. It's like, don't, why are you bothering? I, I have this covered. You don't need to do it. Th- that was initially what I thought it was, and that's probably a part of it. But I think more deeply than that, and it's the same with most practices, if you sit down and do a little bit of breathing, you know you're going to be different afterwards. Like if you do a little bit of meditation or whatever it is. So I think our resistance is actually to that change. I think our resistance is to the knowing we are going to change. I think by how we have survived so long is that we are resistant to all types of changes because we know where we are now and that's comfortable even if it's not good for us so the resistance to breathing is that knowing that oh bollocks I'm going to be a bit different after this you know on a deep level we're not thinking about it but it's like oh why why haven't I done my breathing in two weeks you know why haven't I done my meditation two weeks that we get comfortable where we are and the change can be quite difficult
1: and I think sometimes we're afraid of what we'll find there because it (laughs) does to sit still brings up a lot of thoughts yeah Sometimes to deeply breathe brings up a lot of emotion. Yes,
2: very emotional.
1: I've been a huge resistor to journaling, even though in the wellness world it's come back at me time and time again. (laughs) People are handing me journals left, right and center. (laughs) It's like we don't want to know. Like we're going to start stirring and letting the skeletons out and who knows what will come. We don't look at it as a possible, positive and empowering change.
2: Yeah, and and that is the change. That is the change because when when we, I was talking to a man, we just i'm just back from a, a retreat and it was a very nice man there and he was saying that he he works in finance and you know it's kind of like analytical mind and any moment he had he was just stuffing his mind full of podcasts and you know because when he stopped he was afraid of what would happen when he actually slowed down and, and it was him and his thoughts because when we slow down um, with our thoughts lots of things happen and when we then start to consciously breathe Then we start to get down into the depths, you know, and that's, as you said, where there might be some things there that we're been hiding away from more. But that's where it takes a little bit of bravery just to keep going a little bit every day. No forcing, no pushing. And eventually those things surface and, and, and move on. And then that sense of openness is ours then.
1: What's the science of it when you sit and, and breathe deeply? And look, there's all different types of breathing exercises mm. that you can go through and all different journeys you take people on. But to just sit and, and deeply breathe for five, ten minutes, what are you accessing as as well as taking that time for yourself that we've just discussed there? What's going on inside the body?
2: Yeah, there's some very interesting thing that's going on inside the body. So we could talk about lots of them, but I'll talk about the kind of things that I, like, that I think most important. So when we start to breathe calmly and deeply, the, the actual chemistry of the blood starts to change. So let's say we, have a, we wake up too early, we've been to bed too late, we eat some food that isn't good for us and we're rushing around. The, the, the level of pH in the blood can be a little bit too acidic, so our body's a little bit too acidic. And when that's happening, we're out of balance. So when we stop and start to breathe calmly, The body, the chemistry of the blood, because CO2 levels are going up and down and oxygen going up and down, it starts to change and just be nudged a little bit to being more alkaline. So not loads more alkaline, just enough that it is moving towards that sense of homeostasis again. And when we kind of nudge it a little bit in that direction, it's like everything in the body starts working like it should. Everything's kind of balanced then. And that brings about, you know, deep feelings of of calm but also it's this coherence that starts working through the body that's one of the big things is that the body starts kind of all the pieces are working together
1: is that because every part is getting rich oxygenated blood
2: so it's all yeah so it's all kind of working as it should you know nothing is getting less than it should or too much of what it is and and when the body is like that inflammation is lower
1: yeah because that's how we're supposed to breathe really isn't it
2: yeah now we don't, it's, we are supposed to breathe in lots of different ways depending on what's happening, you know. Um, but we should be bringing ourselves back to that state at least some time during the day, and that's where the 10 minutes comes in. But it's it's not only that. So let's say for example, I cycled in here and felt nice and relaxed, but the, the, the movement of cycling in, being outside, in town, watching everything, even even your body is our bodies are constantly scanning for danger in the background even though we don't we don't feel it that is good in short bursts that movement up into fight or flight where we're vigilant when our heart rate is up and we're looking for danger but we need to come back down to that to the opposite end of of the nervous system that is a very simplified way of looking at it but the opposite part of the nervous system which is where we feel peaceful so when we and when we feel peaceful down there in the parasympathetic part of the nervous system, then we can recover, then we can heal, then we can restore ourselves, then we feel safe again. And so that's what the breathing does for us as well. Takes us from this state of agitation. We mightn't be aware of it, but even the fact that we're outside puts us up into this stimulated way and just brings us back down to this place where again where the body's in balance and it can do its job, which is to heal us and to keep us going.
1: Because there is so much going on, isn't there? Even that man you mentioned, we're taking in information all the time. All the we're time. scrolling. There's people coming at us in WhatsApp <laughs> groups. And that's on top of the personal life and the professional life. Absolutely. So even though we don't feel like we may be stressed, there's a low level home and yeah. it's a way of just bringing yourself back. That is. That is exactly
2: it. There is this additional layer of tension that we hold without knowing it just from living. And that's fine. We're built to deal with it as long as we have these moments where we can bring ourselves back down and recover, even if it's only a few minutes of breathing. And then we're capable of going on again. It's when we're stuck in this in this constant tension over days, weeks, months, years, that's when that's when we start to get sick. That's when we start to feel no joy. That's when we start to feel stressed.
1: Well, during a stressful time in your life, yourself and your gorgeous wife Josie who I adore found yourselves in a tough spot and that's where Wim Hof came in so you threw in cold cold. to the breath and it brought you back and you went on to train with him at what point did you decide this is going to change who I am and and what I do for a living I'm going to start passing this on to other people or is that very much part of the Wim Hof Academy is everybody there to train to become an instructor?
2: Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm very privileged now to be an instructor in the Wim Hof Academy. So I help train the next generation of instructors. So it's great to see all the new instructors coming through. And within that group, you have people looking at the Wim Hof method as either a possible way out of a corporate life or something to help themselves. Or, you know, there's all variations. But when I trained probably six years ago, maybe now, there was not much information about wim hof out there or wim hof method or even breathing or cold for that matter so the only route to kind of learn more was to go and become an instructor and it was very very early on in that year-long process that i thought to myself oh my god this is having such profound effects on myself and josie and as a result our children and our families and our community that i had this list of people that I knew would benefit from it. Friends and family. And it c- became kind of obvious and I was thinking, well, how will I do this? And it just happened by itself. It became quite obvious that there was this need for something like this. There was no one to do it except me. So we had, um, I qualified in, in late December. And then we had the first workshop, a Wim Hof Method workshop ever in Ireland in our house. And it sold out within like a week. And then I knew that there was this demand for people looking for something like this. So it just kind of it just took off.
1: And what is it do you think attracts people to it? Is it the challenge of doing something you don't think you can? Or is it a search for solace in a stressful world? Is it all of these things?
2: It's all of them. It's all of them. So let's say the retreat that I just thought there in the Cliffs of Marvel retreat had 16 people and every type of person you can imagine each person probably coming from a, for a very different reason some people had severe illnesses that they were recovering from that they felt it would help other people were trying to deal with the stresses and strains of life and everything in between you know everyone, and some people are looking for a more understanding of themselves and, and what's happening and, and some people are looking for the challenge you know and what I love about the breathing and the cold is that most people think of the cold and that's what they're focused on because there's big b- baths full of ice and oh my God. But it's the breathing that catches everyone out. you know, Because it's the breathing that works so deeply on us that moves us really deeply. And we really take that breathing and we test our ability to use it in the cold. The cold is like the teacher cold is like the battleground where we go to test can we breathe calmly when we're sitting in an ice bath with 40 kgs of ice lying on our chest and our back you've been in there can we find the breath in there and that's really that's really the amazing thing to watch people do that
1: yeah i went out to your your house and your ice bucket as part of my radio show and you're right it was the breathing that really surprised me because it's not just any old breathing i mean are we a good 25 minutes?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Breathing deeply, holding, all instructed obviously yeah. by you. You'd you'd want a guide there, but it's a different feeling that you've ever had yeah. in your body. There's a tingling all over physically. You're almost hypnotized in a way, yeah. the calm that that comes over you. But yeah. I have heard from from friends, I didn't feel it that day, but extreme emotion. Can come out and and I've watched a couple of documentaries where they've worked with Wim Hof as well and people are bawling it it unblocks a lot doesn't it yeah
2: breathing is very profound yeah I know that we can say of course it is we breathe all day long it keeps us alive but there's a deep therapeutic level to it as well we can use it as a way to heal ourselves and so you know so I was talking earlier on to somebody about holotropic breathing so holotropic breathing is like this very intense, way more intense than Wim Hof method. And it's like two or three hours of breathing as hard as you can go, with music coming on. It was originally created to mimic the the same effects from psychedelics. So in something like that, people have these huge breakthroughs. And likewise, a little bit of calm breathing can also give you these great insights and breakthroughs. It's described like the breathing can bring you to the door and you then decide if you want to go through the door where something like psychedelics brings you to the door and throws you through the door you have no choice you're going to be there for a few hours so the breathing at any stage if people are breathing and they feel it's too intense or too strong all we have to do is bring our breathing back to a normal pace and then we just start to feel breathing you know normal again so we always have this control with the breath even if we're having a very emotional experience we can always just change how we breathe and come back to where we were before. So that's what I love about it as well, is if the person can decide where do they want to go to the door, through the door or just stay at the, at the door and knock on it a little bit.
1: And what I always think is interesting, you always talk about the situations stay the same. It's you that changes. And even Wim Hof himself speaks of that. He lost his wife to suicide. He had young kids that he was going to parent alone and he found himself in a stressful setup that didn't change but his ability to handle it did and I do find that experiences like that do stay with you the first time you get into the cold I mean I don't think I would have got into the Irish Sea without that yes under my belt and even walking here today the temperatures are a little cooler and I was walking through town I'm like I'm cold and I actually nearly hear you say (laughs) so what like what's wrong with cold nothing is wrong with cold so It does really tend to stay with you. That comfort zone we keep ourselves in, when we push ourselves out of it, there's real strength and growth there.
2: The, the hugely so, hugely slow. So, and and the cold can be this amazing teacher in that area. You know that w- the cold helps us to find comfort in the discomfort, and not that we have to be in the cold all the time, but as you said, once you've learned that, then when the other discomfort comes in your life you know how to deal with it so the cold is this amazing teacher that obviously has these great you know biological benefits reduces inflammation reduces pain all that kind of great stuff but it also teaches us how to deal with the very very difficult things in life as well
1: so when did it become apparent to you that this is this is life now i mean when did you sort of jack in your job and everything and did it feel like a big leap you're making it sound like it was all just very gradual and happened but there must have been a time where you felt the transition
2: yeah it, during my training with Wim Hof, i had been contemplating where to go next i was working for concern worldwide a great charity and i was in charge of all their online stuff and a friend of mine uh, Adrian O'Flynn had gone out and was working by himself, and he was always kind of pushing me in that direction, to in order to give me the freedom to go and explore things like where the Wim Hof method could go. So, in my mind, I made a decision that I asked myself, "What were the things that I was scared about about going out and like throwing in the job and going exploring this stuff? What was the thing that was holding me back?" And as a father of four, I kind of, after a bit of breathing and, and kind of contemplation, I realized that obviously providing for all my family was the most important thing. And it was the thing that was holding me back. So I said to myself, okay, if I can get to get beg, borrow, steal six months worth of expenditure, six, more, six months worth of money that would cover all our expenses, that in my mind would take the pressure off. And that would help me make the jump. So, for anybody who's kind of thinking of making a jump, I would suggest this next bit as well, which is the halfway step. So, I left my old job, but it was also working as a freelance digital person to pay the bills while also having this six months kind of buffer zone. And in that transition, that's when the Wim Hof stuff just exploded. So, there was a point at which I was doing freelance stuff to pay the bills then Wim Hof started and slowly 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 it was like 50-50 50-50 half freelance half Wim Hof and then then the balance tipped and the Wim Hof stuff and and all the other stuff the breathing stuff everything took off and the freelance stuff just disappeared so in a way it was a gradual transition but there is and anybody thinking about making a big step in their life for me it was kind of pinpointing that fear that was holding me back and then doing something about it to alleviate that fear and then it was just then you have to go for it
0: hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f are you talking about you insane hollywood ass. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: And when you were doing that sort of self assessment and asking yourself those questions about what is the fear here, What's the answer to what's the mission here and, and why am I doing this?
2: Well, since I was in my early 20s, I started to look for ways of helping people feel healthier, heal themselves, help them feel calmer, you know, in situations. When I was about and that started me off in yoga and Reiki and herbalism and all these types of things. And so from a very from the very beginning, mission was always to try and help as many people as possible so by the time the Wim Hof method came into my life there was this jigsaw puzzle already on the table but it was missing a piece and the Wim Hof method was like the last piece of the jigsaw when Wim very wisely connected the breathing and the cold in my mind they had been kind of separate I'd always swam in the sea in put Marnik as a child growing up as a teenager i'd always been interested in the breath but i'd never combined them so wim hof and the wim hof method was the last piece of the of the jigsaw puzzle and then everything else made sense and then the mission that i always had since i was in my 20s of trying to help as many people as possible now i had the thing that people actually wanted to do you know (laughs) i'd had workshops and events since i was 20 and maybe four people would show up two people would show up and that was fine but now It all made sense. And now people were looking for how to use the breath, how to use the cold, how to use the mind. And I just happened to be in the right place with the right experience to help them.
1: And obviously you have a a business and you go to corporates with your workshops and hold your own. But it's very important to you that you go to a lot of events for free there's a there's a genuine want to help people and connect with people and share this information and have it be accessible
2: yeah um that's always been a part of it and i think when people are under pressure let's say it's lockdowns or you know people might have lost their job whatever it is i always want to have a certain amount of knowledge out there for people that they can get for free so they can go online and do my 10 days of breathing challenge for free 10 days of 10 minutes of breathing it's all there for free or they can do the three minute one we have um, full moon healing circles every month on the beach in Kalini. people can come along and breathe and do some yoga and jump in the sea so there's always an element of no matter where people are there's something there for them and the first point if they want to buy something is the book and the book then the blissful breath they can buy that or or they can come to an event so There's a whole range of of things for people, but I always want people if they need it, that they can have access to it because really that's where it's about.
1: And there's a real change, isn't there, in the appetite for wellness. I mean, I I think I said it to you at one of those Full Moon Beach events. I'm shocked at the hundreds of people that show up and not everybody looks the same. It's all a cross section of ages, backgrounds, and even the corporate world being open and interested. I mean, there's a, a a lady I know, Emma West, who's incredible at sound bath meditation, and she's starting to go into some yeah. of the, the big corporates now for 40 minutes in the middle of their day so they can get up from their desk and go yeah. and fully relax. Just even that being a thing, I think, is just incredible.
2: It is incredible. And the change is happening at such a fast rate, you know, it, all of a sudden most corporations are open to it now because they see the benefit from it and i think part of that was the time we had to assess or reassess what we thought was important over the lockdowns i think that has really changed people's views or made them more open or made them more closed you know but it has pushed people into different ways of thinking about stuff and that has then um trickled down into all these types but you're right what i love about the the say the full moon healing circles on the beach is that you have every type of person you can possibly imagine there you know and and for me that gives me great hope that you know they were that we providing something that anyone can come and enjoy
1: and people might be cynical and you know you do see a bit of a backlash online when people start talking about full moons and healing yeah. and whatever else and that's fine you know no one is suggesting you start stop going to your doctor and start just at the moon but it's about taking time for yourself and investing in yourself and it doesn't really matter what format that comes in under yeah like
2: not everyone has to come and breathe at the full moon that's for sure but there's so much evidence to show that doing something like that is incredibly good for us and everyone should find the practice that suits them and it's different for everybody you know And what I love now about lots of the work that I'm involved in is that there's just mounting, mounting evidence, scientific evidence to show that it works. So beforehand, people would be very dismissive of some of, say, the Wim Hof method. You can't be dismissive anymore because there's so much evidence to show that it works. So really, what I'm starting to see now is that oftentimes people dis- dismissing something because it's not evidence-based and now it's evidence-based, their dismissal is more a, a sign of, of something in them that they're afraid of. It's not because this thing doesn't work because we now know it works and we can show it works and we can repeat that it works. So it's kind of interesting for me now how the, like the dialogue around, say, some now I'm not sort of talking about all wellness practices. I can only talk about the ones I do. Um, it's interesting to see how the dialogue around them is changing now. So it's not about do they work anymore? You know, it's not that. It's about, and that's I think what has got them into the corporations, into the big companies. We can show, and Emma's work is amazing. Sound, the sound vibration, there's loads of science behind that as well and that helps get Emma into into these places. And everyone needs it. But what might, some people might like sound healing, some people might like Asana. So, you know, there's something for everybody and I think it's just finding maybe even being a little brave and open to try a few things and find what works for you and and then, most importantly, to enjoy them.
1: Yeah. And one of the things I love the most is the sense of community. Do you feel a part of of the wellness community?
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because when I was uh, when I was nine, we emigrated to America from Portmarnock and And then we stayed there for three years. And when I came back, my parents said, oh, we'll come back to sixth class so you can be back in the community. And then you can, you know. And when I came back, I totally wasn't part of the community in Port Marnock to such an extent that they wouldn't let me into the community school for secondary school. I had to go to Malahide. So I went to Malahide, but I wasn't part of Malahide either because I was from Port Marnock. You know, so in my life, I've always felt that I was part of communities, but not fully in a community. I was always kind of either... that's the Irish fella when I was in America, or that's the American fella when I came back from Ireland. So, but now what I find is that Ireland is so small and everyone knows each other, that it's great to be part of this community and to be fully part of this community. You know, so there's, we were just talking about all the different connections that we have with people that you don't have to talk to an Irish person very long to find out that they know these other people. And so it's brilliant to see the wellness kind of community growing and people prospering in all types of ways and these connections coming together and uh, yeah i definitely feel very happy within this community
1: and i always think people wellness is like how you feel and so when you're at something like that, people tend to tell you how they are, their yeah. story, their backstory. So You're just going in and deep. Yeah. Um, and I love that, and so, it's yeah. nice to not be pinning someone in a in a bar to do that. It's much better suited <laughs> under a full moon at a beach. Both are okay. <laughs> I always go deep. So you've got a bit of a, a new mission of sorts over the last little while, and that's to take what you know and bring it. To children and teenagers. Yeah. Tell us how that came about.
2: So, I have uh, four children. Two are the youngest are identical twin girls, and they were always very brave, always very courageous. Even because they were copying their older brothers, they were jumping on their bikes and cycling through the park, you know, by themselves and coming back. And we didn't really notice that much in lockdown, but after lockdown ended and everything opened up. Both of them started to suffer really, really badly from full-on, very strong anxiety. This idea that if Josie left them, that she would be murdered, she would be kidnapped, you know, and they were stuck to her the whole time. So I knew that I had helped many, many adults to deal with similar things over the years through breathing, but now I was faced with this kind of problem, this conundrum of how to to help the probably two of the most important people in my entire life living right under my roof and how to help them deal with this, because there's not much there to help children like this. So, I went and and found two eminent professors of clinical psychiatry in America. uh, Professor Richard Brown and Patricia Gerberg of Columbia University and their specialty is using evidence-based techniques like breathing to deal with extreme trauma. So I went and trained with them with a view of trying to help the girls. And I learned from them a lot. And I took that and, and combined it with what I knew before and started creating these little recordings for our girls. So we'd, we'd listen to these guided breathing sessions specifically for children before we go to bed. And it started to really help. They started to feel calmer. We could notice that the more we did it with them, the less anxiety they were feeling. And when we stopped, say we went away, you could see it creeping back up again. Now, at the same time, they weren't the only children around the world feeling like that or adults feeling like that. So I was getting messages from parents and schools asking me, could I do something for the children and teenagers? So I was working with two very good schools who allowed me to send them the recordings, and they would play them for their teenagers and some of the primary school, and they would see how the children reacted and the chil- and they would feedback to me about how it worked. So we had these recordings, and we were kept improving the recordings and learning from how to do it and what was the best way to do it and how to get the children to do it, how to get the teenagers to do it. And then we, we kind of put together this this program, Blissful Breathing for Children and Teenagers, that is based on one, scientifically proven ways of, of helping us deal with trauma and stress, but two, it's been battle hardened out there with families and teachers and schools. And so what we now have is we have this membership where people can become a member of it and we have recordings in there and ways to make you know get the most out of the recordings but the thing I like most about it is that we're asking all the teachers and parents for feedback on what the children find most useful. So things like, they love birdsong in the recordings. So that's one of the feedbacks, so now we have, so then we create new recordings based on the feedback from the children and teenagers, and we put those recordings in. So we've been getting some amazing feedback from from parents, how it's helped children in similar situations just to find a sense of calm, and in September, we're going into a couple of big schools, secondary schools to, to work directly with the teachers and and the students, because obviously. Teenagers have one set of worries and anxieties and, and children have a very different set, but what we found fa- actually we found that the breeding works for all of them and the big adults as well, but it's designed for, for children and teenagers.
1: And how do we define trauma? I mean, I, I find this really interesting because I think people accept there's an issue where there's been loss, grief, abuse, that they are traumas. But has two years of a pandemic is the onslaught of social media. Is that a trauma to the system?
2: There's lots of ways people define trauma. But one of the ones I kind of uh, I find I understand that most is like that our, our boundaries have been infiltrated, you know, so our emotional boundaries or, or our mental boundaries or our physical boundaries have been invaded. And in that sense, I think, yes, there is, you know, I think for children and teens particularly, they might not have the, the skills yet to be able to reason it away like adults did, we could watch the news and say, oh, I have to keep informed, I have to, wa-. but in the back, their children and teens were hearing this in the background the whole time. And I think to myself, God, if I was 15 or 16, I was constantly hearing about, don't touch that. You know, put that mask on. This many people are dead. This many people are going to die. I, I do wonder how I would have reacted to it. So I think, according to Dr. Brown and Dr. Gerberg, their are on it is, and they've been brought in to deal with the genocide in Rwanda. They've been brought in to, they're actually helping psychologists in the Ukraine now. to do. De- you know, so they have, nearly limitless experience in the worst tragedies that we have seen in the last 50 years. Their take on it is, in a natural disaster, and that's what they would class the lockdowns as, it takes about two years for all the problems to actually manifest themselves. So what we saw in our girls was probably an early manifestation of that, because if we take whatever it was, I don't know when it ended, six months ago, whatever it was, we still have a good bit to go before we really see what the effects of the, of that are so that's why this project is so important to try and help we're looking after the adults in lots of ways but now how do we help the children and teens who can't really express it as well as we can we can say oh i'm going to a pilates class or a yoga class because of this the children's bodies are record, you know, they're they're keeping score. They're recording all the experiences, but we, they don't have the words to yet say it to us. So we have to give them something to start moving that stuff. And that's what the breathing does.
1: Yeah, my own son really suffered during the lockdowns. I mean, he was what he's 11 now, so maybe nine or just turned yeah. nine. When it all kicked off and he was never a bad sleeper as a baby, toddler. He's so active that he just falls into bed every night. And all of a sudden, he just couldn't sleep. He wasn't burning off as much energy. He was obviously taking in stress. And I know I was stressed. Don't hug granny. Wash your hands. I told you to wash your hands. I remember going mad at them on a walk for touching a bus stop. And like losing my reason, telling them not to touch anything. So it's no wonder the poor fellow was rattled. Um, And it's funny, it's really hard to know how to handle it. And you're sort of saying, you know, just breathe. Let's take a few deep breaths. So it's like we know the deep breath we know is the way in. But it needs to be a bit more consistent than just.
2: So one of the five guiding principles that we have for the program is that the parents it's often a teacher as well, but let's talk about the parent first, that the parent and the children do it together. Because, as you described there, in that situation, you were highly stressed. You wanted the best for them. And they were highly stressed as a result. So we want the, the parent and the, t- the child to do it together. Usually the very last thing at night. So the lights are off, the stories are read, everyone's lying down. The mom and dad comes in, lie down beside the child and play the recording. And the reason that we really push the parents to do it as well is one, the parent gets the benefit from it. They feel less stressed. But as humans, we mimic the kind of powerful people in our lives. So the child is mimicking the parent. So even though the child might look like they're not doing it you know, as, as, it, as we think we, they should be, they're watching the parent doing it and they're learning so much from that. So that's one of the pr- the kind of guiding principles of the program is that the parents and the children do it together, and they they both start to benefit. But then, the, it just becomes normal. And what we're hearing back from the families now is that the children are saying to the parents, "Come on now, we have to do our breathing," because obviously the, the parent is probably thinking, "Oh, I have to get the child down and then make dinner," and the, you know, but it's now the the children who are saying to the parents, "Come on, lie down with me and, and do it's only it's only eight minutes," you know when you know as you described that not touching the bus stop when we look back in it when I look back at some of the pictures if I'm looking for a picture or something on my phone and look back at that period I can feel myself like a shiver down my spine that even though we were all trying our best the levels of tension were so high even if we were trying our best not to be like you know overly stressed with, with ourselves or the children but it was far higher than what's normal You know, and I think that's really... For the children, it's like, let's just do this little thing every day. And not in the moment, not when they're screaming on their feet, like, like with our girls. There's no way we can get them to breathe if they haven't been practicing it before in the middle of a crisis. If they're in the middle of a crisis, we can't say, you know, let's focus on our exhale. No one's listening in the middle of a crisis. But if we take our time the night before, and we just do a little bit of breathing, then when the crisis happens, we've already practiced it you know it's a little a smaller step to actually using it in the crisis
1: and again the situation doesn't change you know to use the example of your daughters Josie their mom still has to leave the house there is a chance she could get knocked down the yeah. worst could happen but they've learned the tools and i suppose it's about giving them the tools so that they can do it themselves because That's we exactly hear it. all about Snowflakes and the kids don't have the resilience, and we do really micromanage them today and helicopter them and yeah. take as many obstacles out of their way as we possibly can, which in the end isn't really that good for them. But even though we're doing this with them, we're helping them to do it for themselves. Yeah. Ultimately, they have to do the
2: work. It's like your question at the very beginning: Do I feel like a change maker? No, because I'm just pointing in a direction. That the people are doing the work with the breathing or the cold likewise with the children the parent is lying down beside them but ultimately it's the child who has to do the breathing and that in a way is very empowering for them because then they are the ones who, who know how to do the breathing like yes they our two girls are going mad about something and then one of them stopped and I looked at the other one and said let's do the breathing and they did three breaths and I was, I was like oh my god <laughs> it's working <laughs> <laughs> but you know even if we can give them a sense of that all children are teenagers, a sense that they have some control of how they're feeling and they can change that with just a breath or two. You know, then we've done a good job.
1: Is there anyone it doesn't work for? I listened to a discussion on anxiety recently and they were talking about how for these two particular people who had suffered with acute anxiety and Mm -hmm. panic attacks in those moments to try and focus on the breathing was the last thing they needed they needed to distract themselves and mindfulness wasn't for them with intrusive thoughts at times so are there times where it it doesn't work
2: there's always exceptions to all rules you know so there's definitely people um that it doesn't work for but we have to be clear on what doesn't work in the midst of a full-blown anxiety attack or panic attack if that person hasn't been practicing it there's no way they can do it so there's no way they can get a hold of their breath and change their breathing unless they've been practicing it now for my work with the two professors the two doctors that we also know that some people have had such horrific abuse and in their lives that you know there are certain things that are too strong their emotions are too strong and too raw to do so some breathing may be too much for them you know but they are the you know they are the the exception to the rule for the majority of people we are already breathing all the time so what we're doing is we're just changing that a little bit it's not like we're introducing too much new things into it and uh, so i think it's just the, the idea is always do a little bit of practice before the crisis and then in the crisis you have a better chance of, of using it
1: this is really important work isn't it sitting where you are right now I had Tammy Darcy of the Shona project and she gives workshops in schools uh, to teenagers and she was talking about the anxiety epidemic and she just said something that I hadn't really considered before she said all of these teenagers feeling this will then go on to be the workers and it's going to just get bigger if it's not caught and by going right back to the children and teenagers you're making a big difference
2: yeah that's You know That's a great way To kind of put it Into perspective And sometimes I had a fellow yesterday Or two days ago ask me He was saying Look is all this kind of Is all this looking after yourself Is it too selfish You know I mean he's talking about Adults in this case And uh, what I was saying to him Was like Think about it like this If one person in the family Is really sick It affects everybody But if that one person Is looking after themselves And they're really well That also affects everybody so it's the same with the children and the teenagers if if that child or teenager is is having a terrible time it affects everybody in 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 the family it affects pe- their classmates it affects the community and likewise if that child can find a way to deal with it it also has this ripple effect so i think by just allowing them allowing them the opportunity to learn a few of these very simple things has this ripple effect and yes it it ripples out into the future, into them becoming the leaders of this country in, in the next 20, 30 years as well. So I think it's it's um, our duty as the parents at this point to find ways to help them because we'll be the old people and they'll be the leaders of, of, the, of the country, you know. And either they'll be saying to us, is you did your best and you kind of helped us deal with this or they'll be saying, why didn't you do something to help us? You know, so I think... We all want to be in the category that we, we are trying our best to try and give them something to deal with this.
1: Do you get to take stock and see how everything has evolved and think of the the people you've influenced and uh, and helped and what you are a part of?
2: Uh, I try not to. Um, I My focus is always kind of, and I probably should get better, a little bit better at this, but my focus is always kind of just absorbing where we are now and then moving on to the next bit. And I remember at the very beginning of this few years ago, um, we had some big event or something, and my mom said to me, "How will you? How will you come back down to earth after this?" And I was talking to her on the phone as I was changing the twins' nappies at the same time, and there was you know stuff all over the place, and I was like, "Mom, this is how I come down after this," you know. So, no, I, I definitely feel it's a privilege to do this work, and I definitely feel it's a privilege to see the change that it can have when people do it. But I don't really want to think too much about it. You know, I just want to keep keep moving.
1: Yeah, well, you can see you do it without ego, but you do sprinkle a bit of magic everywhere you go, so keep doing what you're doing. Neil and Murakou, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. take care.